Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to come. Uh, we're coming to talk about a topic that the goblins have some personal experience with: <laughs> imposter syndrome. Uh, we also want to take a look at a pretty recent um, addition to the magic lore: a character named Tiana, who is an angel and mechanic, who's part of the new Weatherlight crew on Dominaria. Um, I think her story has some really good angles to look at the topic of imposter syndrome. But first, we need to introduce ourselves and answer our opening question. Uh, so we'll, I'll go first. Um, the question is, what's something you've been working on, maybe something new, maybe not, that you're still not super confident about? Um, and as we're recording this, we're getting really close to the month of November. So something that I am going back to is I'm going to try to do uh, NaNoWriMo, which is not... National Novel Writing Month. Um, I wrote my first novel, I think it was nine years ago. Uh, started it in NaNoWriMo and finished it in January. Um, I wrote a second after that and spent some time kind of writing things and never quite finishing anything after that. And It's been a few years since I've really done fiction writing, um, but in the interim, I've done some, some uh writing for magic content side. I've done some with the podcast and things, and I think I'm, re I'm ready to get back to doing that, but I still not feeling really confident about it because it's been a while and I kind of petered out because I just hit a wall that I f was really struggling to get through. And so I definitely have some concerns about, about that for this month, but I've got good support network network with friends and a couple of us are going to do NaNoWriMo together. And I'm looking forward to our first meetup in a, in a couple of weeks after the month starts. And we've all started writing. Oh, that's awesome. You guys are kind of doing almost a, like writing support group. I mean, you guys are yeah. you're doing this kind of a... Yeah, yeah we're, we're doing a little writer's group. I think th there's three of us. And, and I've got some other friends, too, who I've met at, at, at local writer things who I think uh, are also part of the local, like, more organized NaNoWriMo scene. So I've actually seen one of them this weekend. I'm going to be talking to her just to kind of figure out kind of how that works and if, if that's something I want to participate in next month or not. And even if I'm not, they, they have some resources and things that I may take a look at. But I also realized that I didn't actually introduce myself. So hi, I'm Alex Newman, uh, found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. Uh, and now we'll pass it on. <laughs> Is this the first episode since that we've done together as a group that we have two of the three of us with new handles? I believe it is. So yeah, if you had not heard that handle after my name before, that's because I just changed it. That must be. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. We're oh, feeling all fresh and clean. Look at that. And uh, I, I'm going to be the other person who has, I'm going to be the other person who has not changed their handle. So I am Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. Uh, what I am working on currently actually is I am helping one of the psychology interns uh, get up and running a Dungeons and Dragons groups for veterans with social anxiety. And this is a, a brand new project. Um, the VA historically has been a bit hesitant to allow nerdier things or just not, I don't know, just not, I don't think... She, kind of they haven't been as open to it uh it took me a while i got a magic the gathering group quite a while ago uh for it was about four or five months and there was a lot of pushback veterans aren't going to want to play this veterans don't like magic and i go okay you guys have never lived in san diego near a base where all of them come in and just <laughs> drop lots of cash on games so i was kind of 
shocked when uh, the student approached me and said, leadership said, you are the person to go to about this topic. I want to get this group going. Like she had thought about it. She is a new DM. And I was also like, cool. Yeah, I am the perfect person to do this of the staff here, except for the guy who has his Dungeons and Dragons blog post that I know about now. Um, but yes, I would love to do this. And I've now had to kind of take on this project and I'm helping out with kind of also, I don't play Dungeons and Dragons. I have never played a campaign. Oh, I've wow. gotten through character creation sheets and that's about it. And I feel like I'm being looked to as the expert on all things nerdy now within our hospital fairly. And though <laughs> I'm also like uncomfortable because I'm like, what if this bombs, this intern's going to be able to find me out is not really being a Dungeons and Dragons person. And they're going to know that I was just saying yes when I shouldn't have been. So you were just a, a fake nerd. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. A fake nerd. So yeah, that's a lot of pressure. Well, and I'm, yeah. I'm Joe Redman. I can be found on Twitter at Lorthos. I am also a new handle. Uh, that's L O R E Thos. Uh, and <laughs> I don't think it's uh, it's it's not something that I I have much experience with that I'm doing in the same way in in the exact opposite way Hobbs is what you're talking about I I at least uh, I don't have much of a perception of of the scope of what I need to be doing with with the thing that I don't feel super confident about um, you know I I feel like you know, some exposure to nerdiness helps you know magic magic at, at least is like a, a paper version of D, so you kind of know some of the references uh mm -hmm. for me it's it's owning a house and being handy around the house i am not the kind of person who is like always the fixer upper sort of like i am gonna grab my toolbox and get under the hood of my car myself i would much rather just pay someone to deal with it. Uh, but the fact of the matter is we're, you know, needing to now pay for a mortgage and, and, um, you know, all these other sorts of things. So money is, is not something you can just throw around if you, if you don't have it, uh, as, as a, as a person needing repairs on the house. So when a, when our screen door falls off on our patio, uh, now it's up to me to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this thing? And I've gotten very friendly with YouTube lately, <laughs> you know, YouTube tutorials, but it's still kind of like, you know, even, even the simple thing of like, okay, I need to patch the drywall in here and now I need to paint it. And I know that this is the paint that we use to paint this room, but I really sure hope that it's not going to dry a different color. I am freaking out right now. And so all of this, like, I don't want to, I'm paralyzed to death about messing up our house. Yeah. That's you fair. Know? You yeah. know, or like faucets. I don't know anything about that. I just used them before. Now I have to fix them. <laughs> faucets yeah. am i right <laughs> you just sounded like a really bad seinfeld episode or just about any sitcom where someone you know who is the straight you know the straight man character of the show is like i have a comedy routine and then it cuts to them on the stage and they just say some line like that like and then fish, it just cuts back to the rest of the show you yeah. know? like faucets huh and then it goes back <laughs> to the rest of the show no way should i own a house i don't know how to handle that
could be responsible for it, got to clean it, got to raise it, teach it things, got to pay for its college, you know, tuition. Mm-hmm. It's not getting any cheaper. So before I start asking what type of degree uh, you think your house would uh, get, we're going to move into the story circle and actually uh, talk about what we're here to talk about. So um, so as, as, I, as I said at the top, uh, we want to talk about Tiana. I do want to make a quick note. I think there's a lot going on in her story. There's definitely um, elements of, of looking for a place to belong and a, a loss of identity and other sorts of, of things like that, that kind of share a border with imposter syndrome, but are not necessarily the same topic. Um, but I still think it gives a good springboard to talk about the topic of imposter syndrome. Um, and so, so Tiana, if, if you're not familiar with her, um, was introduced during Dominaria. Um, she, uh, her, her story, by the way, gave us a quick insight into how angels of the Saren variety kind of come into being, which was neat. It's is it's Forthos cast. It was cool to see that. Um, and apparently her creation and, and just kind of part of the Saren uh, church th- was triggered by the prayers of mortals. Um, in this particular case for her, it was mortals um, who lived near a uh, what they call the great machine. It was a massive irrigation system, probably from well before their time. That is what allowed them to live where they were living. And so Tiana came into the world eager to battle the forces of evil and ready to take the fight to, you know, the cabal and anyone else that needed to a good, a good fight. But that's not what she was tasked to do. Um, but so she took that in stride and went to, you know, okay, I will protect this machine, you know, to my last breath. And if this is a thing that needs protecting, hey, I'll probably get to fight somebody during it. Then she found out that uh, the machine was actually destroyed by the cabal um, while before she had finished um, forming and being ready, you know, to, to go out in the world. So that left her with nowhere to go, nowhere really to be. Yeah, I mean, it kind of set her up to an awkward position. This whole what she was created for, a mission in life, her narrative about herself is gone before she even has a chance. Exactly. And and so this led to her kind of doing odd jobs for the church because she's still an angel. She can go out, you know, and beat people up when when that needs doing. <laughs> um, and so she, She's still a 3-3 with flying and vigilance? That's right. You don't want to mess with that. I mean, I think my high school uh, mascot was a seraph, so the fighting angel thing just makes a lot of sense to me. There you go. Uh, but, so she ended up getting assigned to help Joyra um, because Joyra w- is, was going to, she had found the remains of the Skyship Weatherlight lost during the uh, the apocalypse, and she was going to pull it out from underwater where it, it had been sitting for a while and try to repair it and rebuild it. Um, and Due to a very long tangent, I don't want to get too deep into it, but the power core of the ship is sacred to the Church of Sarah, and it's all Urza's fault. Just (laughs) so they wanted an angel, also known as the um, subtitle to our podcast, to the entire show. Yeah, yeah, Goblin Lore podcast. It's all Urza's fault. If it's yeah, if it's it's the subtext of every episode, unless it's the actual text of it, (laughs) in which. In which case, it's both (laughs) and the subtext. Um, It's kind of like the Blame Canada song, except just (laughs) 
so she uh, went to help, you know, on, on behalf of the church because they wanted an angel there to, to make sure the power stone was, was being taken care of and that it was in good order and, and things. And so she went to help. Um, after they got the ship out and started to regrow it with a, with a hull seed that uh, Joyra got, and Tiana discovered that she really enjoyed this work. She began to do engineering work and help to rebuild the ship, um, and she just kind of knew what to do with it. And and you know she she chalked it up to just you know just kind of natural stuff or you know whatever. It's it's not a big deal. Um, but as time went on, like it it really became clear that she wasn't just safeguarding this site. She was actively participating and being a part of the rebuilding of this ship and that it wasn't just, you know, some natural things, but this was from Sarah that she had insights into the machines and the workings of this machine. Well, and, and if I can jump in here, the power stone core of the weather light uh, was, was, Essentially, Joyra thought it was dead when they recovered it, but then Tiana reaches out and touches it, and it immediately activates and and responded to her. So it was even, you know, there's not on, not only did she sort of feel this innate tug to it, it seemed kind of like the weather light was reaching out to her too, you know, and and she definitely was denying it, saying, "Oh no, no." So Arvad is, uh, he was a former. Uh, Benelish Knight, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. and he, uh, in the course of battling the Cabal and, and protecting Benalia and, and the Church of Sarah, which is in Benalia, um, he uh, was converted into a vampire by uh, by the Cabal, uh, sort of as a, a sick joke, um, because they're seen as evil by the Benelish and all this sort of stuff. Um, so just a little bit of background for this quote, uh, this little passage here from the Dominaria story. Um, Arvad seemed surprised. I didn't think you were a battle angel. I thought you were an artificer angel. Tiana frowned. No, there aren't any artificer angels. But you're the one directing all the work. He tapped his ear. There are a few good things about my condition, but the improvement... uh, Sorry, there are a few good things about my condition, but the improvement in my sight and hearing is one of them. I don't have any official angel skills. I'm not supposed to be working on the engines, but I just... Tiana waved her hands trying to explain it. Sarah is giving me the knowledge of where things are supposed to go. I can see how everything is supposed to work. If Sarah is giving you that knowledge, then it's an official angel skill, Arvad said. Tiana wasn't sure why she wanted to argue the point. It might be some inborn loyalty to the great machine destroyed though it was. But that's not my purpose. What is your purpose? I was supposed to guard a great machine, but it was destroyed before I got there. I was born too late. The church doesn't know what to do with me now. Watching over the Power Stone was my first real mission. Arvad nodded toward the weatherlight. That's a great machine. Tiana sighed in exasperation. But it's also not my assignment. Sarah is giving me the knowledge to help rebuild it, but the weatherlight is not my reason for existence. And this is the kicker. Just because your original reason for existence was destroyed doesn't mean you can't get another one. Believe me. And yep. he saw that she was really uncomfortable with this entire conversation because she's basically trying to argue this whole idea that I don't no, 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 no. I love this idea of official angel skill too, by the way. <laughs> like just official. Not the you stop doing things unofficially, okay? Right. But, this is well this is like uh <laughs> what what do they what do they call it? Like black ops angel uh <laughs> yeah. Like, 
Stay in your lane, okay? But is that a topic for another episode where we just go through all the official angel skills? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And and but I what I like is the idea that she still thinks it's well, Sarah's giving me the knowledge. I don't have these abilities. They're not mine. This is not what I was born for. This is not my purpose. And our our bad just are like, okay, but literally everybody's listening to you about this. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like I can tell what people are watching. I can tell what the machines are doing. It may not have been your purpose at some point, at one point, but it is now. Right. And, and Tiana keeps saying too, like, oh, well, it's, it's not. And I, I know we'll get into this a little bit later, but yeah. she keeps sort of denying that she has an affinity with the weather light saying like, Oh, well, Sarah's giving me this knowledge. Sarah's doing this. Well, yeah, maybe, but also she's doing it through you, if anything. So that's kind of a a pattern with imposter syndrome too. You, anything, I mean, and and this could go into other sorts of, of, of cognitive uh, dissonance and things too, but it's, it's like you, you try to explain away anything so she's trying to explain away every single reason why this is an official thing and this could be her purpose or it is her purpose. And she's like, well, but what about this? And what, what about this little thing? And coming up, trying to explain away everything positive sort of in that that mm-hmm. category. And, and it totally sounds flat. It totally falls flat. You know, it's one of those we've we've all whether whether it was us saying them or somebody, you know, near near to us saying like, oh, well, uh. I, I didn't do it all. I got a little bit of help with and we're like, yeah, okay, you did ninety nine percent of the work. So that that doesn't that doesn't hold water at all. Oh well, but I did it on a Tuesday and I should have done it on a Wednesday. Okay, well that doesn't matter. You still did it. But I you know, they all just sound yeah. like really bad hollow excuses. Yeah, and, I just, and, and she can't recognize that. I think of Chris Farley when he was like, oh, you know, in, in Tommy Boy, it's like, oh, I just wanted some chicken. I was just messing around. It's like, but that's a salesman skill. And it's the same, like, <laughs> you're like, you did the thing and now you're coming up with all these reasons why, well, no, I didn't really do the thing. The thing was done by me, but there's all these thin <laughs> circumstances that you don't understand and I need to mm-hmm. explain them to you. What are the official salesman skills, by the way? <laughs> uh, and, and it may not be a physical thing. If you can sell an idea. Hmm. Hmm. Just like Arvad's trying to do. I like it. Comes full circle. And speaking of Arvad, that kind of brings us back to uh, another passage I have here. So a little bit of context for it, too. There was a a phoenix because they were near Shiv, I assume. Like maybe they were near something else. Do you remember, Joe? I don't off the top of my head. I'll look it up. Okay. Near one of those fiery places. So some a phoenix came out and... Um, was attacking the site and both Arvad and Tiana responded it just immediately and went to fight the Phoenix and, and get it to leave the area to pr- both protect the people and to protect the weatherlight. And then um, after this is a uh, passage from after that fight after. Um, so it says there were a lot of things Arvad could have done. With Tiana dead and the camp in chaos, he could have fed on workers fleeing the camp or stolen the Power Stone and run off with it. Instead, he acted exactly how a Benelish knight should have. Um, and Tiana had a alt, had acted exactly like a guardian angel, the Weatherlight's guardian angel. The thought of the skyship being destroyed had almost destroyed her. She now she knew now she would defend it to uh, to the death. Is this what you want, Sarah? Tiana asked, but there was no answer. Maybe because she already had ha- had her answer. 
when Sarah had empowered her sword with enough force to kill the phoenix in one blow. When Joya would return, Tiana would offer to serve her to serve on her crew with the Weatherlight. It wasn't the purpose she had been born for, but it was the one she wanted more than anything. Yeah, and I think that th this shows that there are a number of things that Tiana is kind of dealing with throughout the Dominarius story. I mean, of the things that we see, her growth is actually probably the story that I enjoyed most from Dominaria. I am saying this completely because they ignored Squee, so I hate every other aspect of it. <laughs> but we have our first passage in which we kind of see imposter syndrome. We see what we're going to be getting into for our world world topic, but we've already discussed this. This is this idea that I don't belong here. This isn't my purpose. This isn't my point. You, yep, nope, I got to explain this away because that's not who I am. And then we're seeing her move into choosing a new role. And it's that idea that she is choosing it and that she's taking the role on. And I think that the second passage really sums that up nicely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it is, it is making that active choice, like you're saying, rather than passively allowing things to sort of wash over her one way or the other. Let's talk about what imposter syndrome actually is. We've been yeah. hinting around it, which is pretty perfect for the idea of imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Do, I will say I think we're extremely qualified to talk about this. And yes, it's very yeah. unimposter syndrome. Which, yeah. Which conversely makes me feel unqualified to speak. <laughs> Uh, so do, do one of you want to give a definition or should I give this a crack? Go for it. Okay. So we'll tell you how you're wrong. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to be wrong. Of course. <laughs> I can't get this right because imposter syndrome is, is a feeling that you're going to be found out. That's, that's kind of the, the best way I can encapsulate it, that you're doing a thing that you know you are not qualified to be doing and someone's going to catch on at any moment and call you out. Um, it's a little more complex and there's a lot of other little elements to it, but that's kind of the, the, the dramatic you know, explanation that I, that I have of it. I think there's a lot of other little elements of, um, sometimes you just feel like you don't belong in certain circumstances where, of course, everyone welcomes you, but that doesn't really register. You're feeling like you don't belong for some reason. You're explaining this away or whatever. Um, it can also be if you're doing something, uh, it often happens if you're doing something new. I know it gets talked about a lot in, in writing circles. As, as I talked about it in the opening, um, done a, a decent amount of writing, and that is it's seems like everybody gets imposter syndrome at some point. Um, and I, I, I kind of, I want to go into that a little bit later why I think that might be and some of the causes of that. So how did I fail? What did I do wrong? You did nothing. I mean, you actually hit the, the key things of what I associate to be with imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome, I have always heard it. We actually talk a lot more about it. Um, even from the perspective of, becoming a psychologist. So it, it is something that is talked about throughout all of our training is this idea that you are going to feel like you don't belong. You can have all the training that's necessary in the world. You can easily be the right person for the job. You can be the expert in the room, but you are going to feel like you're not, like you do not belong in some way. And I think like Alex said is that you're going to be found out. Um, I mean, this is the idea in a lot of psychology and, and we've heard it in med school and this this idea that 
you know, somebody is going to find out and it's going to all come crashing down. <laughs> you were never supposed to be here. The, the jig school, is up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, to the point where like somebody is going to determine and realize that I didn't belong in grad school for a PhD and I'm going to be right about to defend my dissertation, which I never should be have allowed to have been done in the first place. But right at that moment, somebody's going to realize it. And the last six years of my life are going to come crashing down and I'm going to be left with nothing. And I will tell you that <laughs> this... That's not dire and dark. <laughs> no, I mean, but I think of imposter syndrome as really being dire and dark. It really is just... It, it is, to me, it isn't just kind of like, oh, yep, I'm not good enough. It, it, right. It really is, I don't belong and somebody is going to find out. Well, and, and I can... I, I think I can talk a little bit about this real quick. Uh, is I, I felt very strongly, uh, and I... I believe I talked at length with you two about this when I was teaching I felt very strongly like oh I am not qualified to be up here and and frankly I'll be real honest <laughs> with this my the school that I was teaching at didn't uh, you know didn't disagree with me because uh, I only taught for one year uh, but it, it, it was one of those things where every day you know was a battle and every day was uh, frankly a failure and I and I am one of the people who attests very much of my learning and my success in anything to the fact that I've failed so much prior. Like I am very okay with failure on a lot of levels, but that year was one of the hardest personal and professional years of my life because every day I had to get up in front of, you know, a room of 25 kids eight times a day and completely fail not productively fail and it was just kind of like i'm not good enough to do anything like at the end of it it was very much a, a meta like a uh what's what's the word an existential sort of like crisis of i i probably shouldn't do anything professionally ever <laughs> you know? it takes that overextension i mean and mm -hmm. um i know we're all kind of sharing our personal examples one for me is uh when i became an actual psychologist you basically leave one day as a student and you go away for a weekend and you come back and in my case i i did go 75 miles away to another va so they didn't really know me but it can get even worse when you work at the place you then trained because everybody knew you as a student like five days before they knew you as a student you walk mm -hmm. in the door and you're now an independent practitioner allowed to just be responsible for everything on your own and you don't feel like you belong. Like I had to walk into a room full of people on my new first job who didn't want a psychologist there. It was on a, 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 a acute unit that had like a locked unit that had never had a psychologist. The, it was a medical model. They didn't really want one necessarily. They didn't know what I was doing there. And I had to walk in to that environment already feeling like I didn't belong <laughs> and right. then act like the expert in the room. Now, in my field, I was the expert in the room, but yet I still felt like this is just, I am now fully licensed, fully independent. I am a big boy. And my first thought was somebody's going to find out and they're going to fire me. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. And an example for me, which was much friendlier circumstances to be in, <laughs> um, but it was really a, a 
turmoil for for me for a little while until I realized that nobody cared and they were all just happy I was there. Um, happened, uh, oh boy, a bunch of years ago now, all of a sudden, 2015. Why wasn't that just last year? Anyway, <laughs> besides the getting old comments. So at GP Charlotte in 2015, um, I went there because I started writing for a magic website you can't access anymore. It fell off the internet. Um, then the writers decided to meet up there because that site was going to fall off the internet. And we've created our own site that has also since fallen off the internet. Um, but we all met up there because a bunch of people were down there and some others, it was a quick, easy trip and it was not as easy for me, but I made it. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Like we met Friday night as a, as a podcast and we, or not as a podcast, as a site, you know, all the content creators and we had a lot of fun, but then Saturday, um, there was going to be a big podcaster dinner and I had spent the day hanging out with uh, a fellow who, who was in magic podcast for a while. Hasn't been lately. So people may not be familiar with Jack LaCroix, but he was there. I was hanging out with Jeff Good, mm-hmm. uh, a friend of his, the two of them did a podcast at the time and, we were hanging out. We were playing cube um, with Jeff, who actually, incidentally, is the one who introduced all of us in the Being Atlas group together. <laughs> yeah. Aside, but uh, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, it was fun hanging out with them. But then, like, they were going to go to the podcaster dinner, and they were podcasters, and and the whole, and they're like, yeah, okay, we're going down. So we're going down. We're going back from the hotel room. We're going to drive back to the venue, and, and then I'm like, well, at this point, they're going to, you know, say goodnight to me and send me on my way because I'm not a podcaster. And then we got there, and the park, like, all right, we're heading this way. So I started following them, and then it's like, oh, yep, this is when they're going to turn around. Like, we're going to get to the restaurant. They're going to turn around and say, sorry, Alex, you can't come. You're not a podcaster. Nope. I walked right in there. I sat down next to Mike from the mana pool and we all started <laughs> talking and the whole time and trying to figure out why no one's kicked me out. And then we end up with like 30 people <laughs> from like five or six different podcasts and took over multiple tables spanning like a big chunk of this restaurant. It was a great time, but for like an hour sitting at that table, I'm like, why, why am I even here? Like, mm this is a big joke i don't do any podcasts i just write magic articles i'm a content creator but not a podcaster so i don't belong at this podcaster dinner well you're right and not that you weren't enjoying yourself but you felt like like you didn't belong there not yeah. not not that oh, i don't you know i shouldn't be here as in like i don't want to be here it's yeah uh i'm having too much no. fun wait a minute yeah. someone's gonna rain on the party yeah, I can't laugh too loud at somebody's joke or they're going to realize I shouldn't be here and they're going to yes. kick me out of the restaurant halfway through eating my food. The podcaster right. dinner security is going to be... <laughs> right. Come bounce me out of the mellow mushroom. <laughs> yeah, like the, the mana pool people are just going to come over and just literally manhandle just, me out of the room. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, so I will say that we had our own kind of experience with this when we started doing this right oh yeah i mean gp minneapolis was we so gp minneapolis was last year last year but like two episodes into us starting the show i mean it had not been very long since we that we had been yeah doing this so at that point we 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 I mean, this is how we felt. We, <laughs> yeah. we conned some people, like some podcasters. I mean, some 
some amazing cosplayers. So and and other content creators. I still felt oh. that way even with with uh, Bibliovore Oric and Morgan. Yeah. Oh yeah. yes, oh. right. So we even started off the weekend with doing. We we did a lot of content creation for yeah. us at that point. And Morgan's yeah. from here well, and worked and, at Lodestone, and we knew her. And, like yeah, yeah. I I knew her. I did uh, like a cube event with her at a friend's house or something. Like yes. So like. Shout out at MTG Valkyrie and at Bibliovore Orc. What up? Right. Yeah. And then we went from there, where we did this amazing, great episode, to on site, where we actually interviewed, yeah, four, yeah, four, four awesome four cosplayers. Cosplayers, you know, and cosplayers I, who in this community are big names, especially right. compared to where we consider ourselves and how we feel. Yeah. Like these are people that we don't that we look up to and we reached out and asked them basically, do you want to be on the show? And they said, yes. No. And we all kind of had this like, just really deer in the headlight kind of like, Oh wait, they, they actually said yes. (laughs) We didn't think this far ahead. No, no. (laughs) What killed me was while we were recording Aaron Campbell. Oh yeah. <laughs> who is one of the people who I started listening to podcasts because of her show walks up, pulls Hobbs aside and says, what do I got to do to be on your show? Yeah. yeah. Like this show that just started, what do I have to do to be on it? Like, what, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah we're not about to be like, uh, we'll have our people call your people. We're yeah, like, we didn't yeah, have when, people. When do you want to be on? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I mean, now, like now. Yeah, like, okay, like, cool. Right now, because we don't even, you know, like, I mean, it, it felt like uncomfortable in the sense that it was kind of like, okay, so where, where's the joke? Is Are we right. Carrie at the prom? Right, right. Which is a reference for you, timely for Halloween for you, all of you out there. Yeah, but that's good. Carrie is a spooky season. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Stephen King movie. It was like his first one, but yeah, go basically she, showed up to the, she gets tricked into going to the prom and, you know, and. Yeah, hijinks and Sue. Yeah, hijinks and Sue. If you haven't seen it, but yeah, no, and I remember having breakfast with you too, and like literally saying, I believe all three of us said this and paraphrased different ways, but like, who let us do this? Yeah, <laughs> like right. who gave us per- like who 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 signed off on letting the three of us do a show and getting to talk to these people? Right, right. Like who was dumb enough? Yeah, to think this was a good idea. Yeah. Who just had that sandwich between two other like more important pieces of paperwork? <laughs> yeah, even in this ridiculous analogy, we're not important enough for someone to notice us to mistake, to mistakenly let us do something. Right. And it, and it all just sort of you know when you peel back that stuff, we started realizing like okay, we do maybe have something to say. You know, maybe there's something to that. I think that was one of the latest realizations is maybe we do actually have a valid point with any of the things we contribute. But I I think we realized, too, that a lot of, you know, the kindness that was being shown to us early on and still is, frankly, because the magic community is a fantastically warm and generous community. Um, it, It just people want to help. People want to be friends with you. People like you yeah the astonishing thing for me lately is that anyone actually listens to our podcast like seriously (laughs) like and and some of that is i spent a year and a half writing magic articles 
that I'm fairly certain. I mean, obviously somebody read them. I know like my editors read them, but I'm fairly certain few other people did. The website got some traffic, but neither of the websites got a lot of traffic. Hmm. And and the whole thing is with with my social anxiety and stuff. I kind of just pretended that that didn't exist. Like it was a shock for me when I went to Charlotte and I busted out a commander deck, and like head head editor of the site Jack is like, oh yeah, I know that deck because I wrote an article about it. I'm like, how do you know this deck? I've, we've you know this is the first time we met in real life. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, you <laughs> I totally wrote about this deck, and apparently you read the article. Who reads? Who does that? <laughs> what type of editor is it? Just yeah. looking for grammar. <laughs> yeah, that was my first reaction. It was like, oh, I guess I guess somebody probably did read it. Like I wrote it, it got posted on the website. I didn't do that. Yeah. So. I mean, we've kind of shared now what imposter syndrome, what's it, what it can look like. Now I want to kind of discuss a little bit about why this topic. So Alex, you had this topic idea for a very long time. It's kind of ironic that we're not getting to it till now. Um, just, <laughs> I felt like there was part of it, not even fully intentionally, but just like an avoidance piece mm -hmm. of kind of like, I really want to talk about this. It's a really important episode and I don't want to mess it up because I'm going to if we do it. Yeah, and they'll yeah. say that uh, there was a legitimate thing like with our episodes you know the structure of our show we have a real life topic and we have a, a, a game topic and we try to have these things have some good t connections where we can draw parallels and, yep. and so there, there was some legitimate like trying to find a good match for it yep. but we we had the tiana matchup for it's been months right <laughs> we've kind of been sitting on this episode after figuring that out the, and the hilarious part about the fact that we've been sitting on this episode now is the fact that this topic is everywhere lately. Mm -hmm. I mean, this topic is just, it, it's, it really is just all over the place. I mean, I, if what you was interesting the phrase on Twitter, it's, it's wild. And, and yeah. I mean, friend of the podcast, Titus Lunter has been posting a ton about it and just trying to be, transparent Open about and transparent like with, hey yeah. i'm an artist who's getting published in this huge game and i still don't feel like i belong here most days like yeah yeah and i think that that's the reason we wanted to talk about it was because um that idea that this is something that can strike you no matter where you fall on the spectrum of kind of talent fame mm -hmm. what your experience experience actually is and I yeah. thought about when I kept seeing it from people like Titus and Proxy Guy and these people that I know struggle with this. But then in the back of my head, I justify my own imposter syndrome by being like, well, if they feel it, yeah. well, I obviously really am yeah. an imposter in the magic community. Right. Now, maybe that doesn't extend to other areas of my life, but it definitely extends to like here, right? Because... Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's that's kind of related to, let's say, one of the other lies that imposter syndrome will tell you, too, that if you hit success at a certain threshold, it will go away. Mm -hmm. You will have made it. I don't know if you heard me capitalize all the words in that, but you have made it, and now it, you know, you'll feel as if you have made it, mm -hmm. and it'll be fine. You'll have all the confidence you need, and it's like, that's, that's not how it works. And I can tell you from, just from our experience doing this podcast for a little over a year now, there are things that happen that you don't ever expect where it's like, oh, this is what making it feels like. And then, you know, you'll still be, and then like in the five minutes later, you'll be like, oh, but I can't believe that, you know, <laughs> anyone actually listens to us. What do we even have to say of value? And from the, the, the writing world, um, 
the writing excuses is, is a podcast done by uh, Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Howard Taylor, and uh, Mary Robin at Kowal. And, and they, this is a topic that I know comes up on their cast. It's a thing they talk about. Um, I have not been following the show lately. I know there's some other people who've been on the show too. Um, but it's, it's a lot of big writers have talked about it for years, which as has been helpful for me to some degree because I had some awareness of it. But even having some of that awareness, then, you know, several years later, I start doing magic content and I end up falling into some of those same cycles. Yeah. And and I think, too, there's a difference between you don't have you feel like you don't have the experience or um, technical know how to do something. And so you're going to set out to educate yourself and uh, more or experience more so that you can do the thing. There's a difference between that and the sort of the paralyzing imposter syndrome, because that's something where I used to, you know, I used to write fantasy football content and the way that I feel that that uh, industry has gone is, is very heavy analytics and database stuff to where, you know, uh, basically you have to have a sense of uh, basic coding in order to really be on the cutting edge these days. And I, and I just don't have that. I can tell a good story uh, up through numbers but I don't really have sort of the data background I think needed to be on the cutting edge of that. And I, I also want to make a delineation between imposter syndrome and self-doubt, whereas I think they are very closely aligned. And we are talking about kind of this idea of uh, self-doubt as I associate a lot more with depression, um, kind of the negative cognitive beliefs that you have above yourself. The ex And imposter syndrome really does come back to a fear um, there's a fear-based component of it that takes it above self-doubt uh, in the sense that is, and I, I just want to hammer this home, and I, we've said it like 12 times, but you are going to be found out. Yes. You are going to be discovered. You know, I mean, I think for me as a podcaster, it would be like somebody would be discovering that we're doing this podcast. They're going to realize that we shouldn't have been allowed to have it. We never should have mm -hmm. given any of you a podcast. And somehow they're going to find a way to shut it down or really just expose us online for the frauds that we are. And nobody is ever going to listen to us again because everybody will now know that we should never have been doing it in the first place, That's which is true. different than like, I don't really believe in myself. Right. There's, there's it's a not difference. a lack of confidence. It's necessarily right. Yes. One of the ways I like to conceptualize like, like imposter syndrome or kind of one of the, the causes of it is you can always, you always know kind of the back scenes of your own stuff. You know, when you're kind of just throwing something together and waving your hands, but it's kind of like a Hollywood set. If it's done well, people in the front don't know that it's not real or at least it looks good enough for like, yeah, that's, that's a great movie. That's fine. Mm -hmm. We don't, that doesn't need to be a real house. You've told the compelling story. We understand that, you know, there's some extrapolations, there's some machinations that happen behind the scenes and we don't need to understand them, but you behind the scenes, you're just panicking because you're like, I didn't put this together very well and they're going to know. And then I'm not going to be able to do this ever again. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that, so now that we're talking about kind of now that we know what imposter syndrome is, we know kind of how to identify it. What do we do from here? Um, what you just described, Alex, is kind of the idea behind the whole philosophy that people have heard of, of fake it till you make it. <laughs> um, that really is the idea that 
you kind of, the, the, the things we're talking about when it comes to imposter syndrome are skills and skills can be taught and skills can be practiced. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do them well, but the idea behind fake it till you make it is you put that face on, you go out there, you act like you belong. And part of what you're talking about, Alex, is people probably won't notice that mm -hmm. you don't, you made a mistake or you don't, yeah. even if you don't belong in some ways, they're not going to fully notice because you're probably able to exude that or you're able to fake mm -hmm. it. And, yes. and, and that's the idea behind learning anything is you, I have to go in there and act like when I meet somebody that I have met somebody with the same problems as they have. And I have helped them thousands of times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We always said that to the, the students that I taught theater to is, is the audience doesn't have the script. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know what went wrong. They only know if you acknowledge it. I also, I, I also want to say too, uh, one of the things that I, I really rely on to help keep me away from that, that sort of what I think of as, as paralyzing fear, uh, you know, with that imposter syndrome can bring is, is having a, an impartial soundboard as much as possible, a sounding board, excuse me. So, um, whether it's somebody that you know that you've worked with before that you know will give you an impartial and an objective opinion for me it's well it's you two on a lot of things but also uh my best friend who i've written a ton of creative projects with like short films and stuff i know that he's not going to you know bs me on on things he's going to give me actual feedback and and be really honest with me not you know hurtful but he'll be blunt and be you know know that i want to create the best work that i can possible uh and and on top of that too i mean it, it's kind of the whole it's kind of the whole reason frankly hobbs that people who go to psychology you know go to psychologists is because they need somebody who can step out of their personal life and say i i have no reason to lie to you like you are you are there to help them and that's it not to just make them feel good you know yeah i have to tell people that you know part of coming to therapy is actually in some ways asking me to make you feel uncomfortable uh -huh. <laughs> because i'm asking you to do things that you don't necessarily want to do but you recognize there's a need for it mm -hmm. um yeah like, was, these are these are both really good um one of the reasons i like fake it till you make it as as a thing that i've used a lot actually i've used both of these but one of the aspects i, I like a little sub note that i want to make about fake it till you make it is that's actually just how you get good at things mm -hmm. you just do the thing and then you'll learn and get better and mm -hmm. so just like okay i'm just gonna like pretend i'm gonna fake it as best as i can you'll just naturally improve if you stick at it. Right. And you'll, you'll learn possibly more efficient ways to do it than people who are following by the book sort of doctrine ways of doing mm -hmm. it because you're just teaching yourself what the most efficient thing is, you know, and what works for you. I mean, organically, this podcast has developed that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did not study any podcast theory. Um, I asked for some <laughs> advice on microphones, but I mean, I didn't, you know, structure wise, we came up with something and we've kind of have refined it. And I think that we've gotten better, but those early episodes were about just recording it and just getting the episodes recorded, mm -hmm. praying that there was something usable for Joe to find in there. Yeah. And then 
that enough people would listen that we could feel justified to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I remember the, the first episodes were like, let's just talk long enough at the thing until it gets done. And then we kind of <laughs> figured out the structure. Like we've got this, these, you know, show note template that Joe has since built for us that has these segments and things. None of that we had at the beginning. No, we had some of those pieces. Those kind of came out of us working the process. Yeah. But we didn't have that specific structure early on. We just figured out what, you know, kind of, well, to be honest, I remember, Joe, and you even approached me about the podcast. And I think we both were having a hard time explaining what it was supposed to be. And then the three of us get together and start to record. And out of that first episode or two, we really figured out a good rhythm and and kind of what we were trying to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that we do this. This is one of my favorite things to do is to get on here and, and talk to the two of you and, and, and yeah. I mean, still building from that. Um, we have show notes. We also have concepts that we've thought about. We're still, I think once again, it's meta organic, gen, uh, genuine. We're still for the most part flying off of kind of what we're thinking. It, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's about that. Now, interestingly, I want to tie this back to Magic the Gathering and the topic. Tiana's story is actually exactly what Alex was just kind of describing. She had to find the role or what her narrative was. And it was something that at the beginning, she was kind of going through the mechanisms of knowing she was supposed to be there. You know, she, she had official angel duties, didn't know what they were because the reasons she had been created were no longer valid yet she stayed around and she actually just developed by being there and doing mm-hmm. over time. And I think doing is probably one of the best strategies mm-hmm. that you mean. So let's get empire of the strikes back. Cause we also had a star Wars trailer. Uh, Yoda's statement is do or do not. There is no try, which is hung up in my office, which is this idea that the concept of trying is actually not what's important. It's doing or not doing. Now, doing or not doing does not mean that you're going to be successful. It doesn't mean that it's going to work. It means that you took action. Trying as itself, and this is a concept that's taught in what's called acceptance and commitment therapy or some of those therapies that are based in more meditation and mindfulness, is this idea of try to think of the concept. Wow, I just used the word horribly. (laughs) Because I want you to think of the concept of trying. Well, do you try to take a basketball shot in your head. So I want you to picture yourself going through this entire motion. You're at the free throw line and I want you to try to take a free throw. Okay. So pretty quickly, this falls apart when we realize that as soon as the ball leaves your hand, you are no longer trying because trying is like you're, you're doing now trying. I'm always like, I do this in my office. You can't see it right now, but I'm kind of like up and down in the air. Like, what is the ball leaving my hand? Is it not leaving my hand? That's trying, right? Letting go of the ball is doing mm-hmm. it tells us nothing about the outcome well and and so yes and and that is an awesome i love that concept that's super cool and i always for me you know having a background in theater i i have always kind of like thought uh i've learned a lot of from watching buster keaton films and and charlie chaplin and all those uh the marx brothers all those old uh you know slapstick uh comedians you know from back in the day in in silent films and and all that sort of stuff because the big thing that they constantly do constantly their humor is based on failing and so this is this is the other the end result 
that's not success, but like constantly they're slipping and falling and then getting back up and slipping and falling and getting back up. And that to me is one of the coolest things too about this is one, one way is just to do and then be okay. And this is obviously advanced technique, but you, you do. And then when it doesn't work, be okay with it and learn from it and then take that knowledge back into the second, you know, do. I, I won't even say the second try, the second attempt, the second action of it, you know, yeah. and then you might still slip and fall and that's okay. Because I mean, I, I think it was Charlie Chaplin who said specifically, like one of the funniest things is watching somebody slip on a banana peel time and time again, only to get up, look down, see the banana peel, step over the banana peel, smile to themselves confidently, take another step forward and drop into a manhole. Like that, but it, it is, but that is success in, in one way because you are building a funny scene, you know? I, so I, I think it's just kind of this thing of you're going to fail and it's going to be okay. There is always another step after this. Yeah, looking from, from the writing world too, and there's a lot of of writing advice and there's a lot of different things and a lot of it comes down to what works for you, but it's also helpful to just have things and kind of try stuff out. But that's kind of the whole point is use this, see if this works for you. Um, and learning from failure is so important because when you're writing a you know, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 word novel, you're going to get a lot wrong. You're not just, it's not going to be some mistakes. You're going to get a lot of mistakes. I, um, I wonder, I was going to ask you just now, Alex, as you're saying this, how many, uh, how many words do you think you've written for your novel, for uh-huh. your first novel that you ended up not using? Oh, I'm not going to use any of it. I am entirely rewriting the novel. Um, in fact, talking, I sat down with my friend Bo and, and I've entirely reworked the story. Like I have several of the same characters, but there's a big difference in the backstory of the main character, which sets off a huge difference in the actual journey that characters go on during the story. So I have a 60,000 word first draft that literally zero is being used. I have... <laughs> It's an outline. Yeah. Well, that's like a whole other discovery where, you know, a discovery as a discovery writer, which basically means I, I can't write an outline. I figure out the story as I'm writing it. Um, I also have several drafts that I started and never finished. So, I mean, at this point, I have at least 80,000 words thrown at this novel that I'm literally not using. And then I still have a new draft to start writing and we'll see what happens with this. But, by writing that, and, and something I like to say, and I don't know, someone else probably said some better version of this because imposter syndrome. Um, <laughs> you can't, like a big thing in editing is, or, or in, in writing is, is there's always editing. Like you can always fix it in post. Fix it in post is a you know, Hollywood thing, but it's like fix it in your next draft. Like you can't fix something. You can't edit something that hasn't been written. Hmm. So you have to do the first step and write it down even knowing there's going to be a lot of mistakes and issues with it, because then you can go and start fixing those mistakes. Or in my case, and, and people who have a similar writing style, you can start to learn what the story actually is and who these characters actually are so that you can mostly throw this away and start again. <laughs> and, so Alex, I, I want to make you feel uncomfortable by pointing out that Thomas Edison actually said, I have not failed 10,000 times. Yes. I have successfully found 10,000 ways that will not work. 
Yes. So somebody much, much smarter than all of us has already said it. They're, they're really, you, you were right. Yeah. You were right. For just a moment, I thought you were going to say someone much, much smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you are. See, and this is, I think, part of the, the imposter syndrome thing. Actual Hobbes is much kinder than the Hobbes in my head sometimes. <laughs> well, I think actual Hobbes is kinder than what most people think actual Hobbes is. Well, and to be fair, actual Hobbes is much kinder than Thomas Edison because he electrocuted <laughs> an elephant. So It was to make a point. Great. I mean, point <laughs> received. The, the point being that no, no, he was better no. than Tesla. I was gonna say that's right up there with the people who like to say, you know, technically correct is the best kind of correct. It's like, or just, Nicol Bolas might actually be the hero of the story. Yeah, like all Wait of those. <laughs> These are not related. <laughs> one of those was correct, <laughs> but which one? We'll let the listeners decide. That's our show. You can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter or email any questions, comments, or concerns to goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, you can do so at patreon.com slash goblinlorepod. This episode of Goblin Lore was hosted by Hobbs Q, who you can find on Twitter at Hobbs Q. This episode was written and co-hosted by Alex Newman, who you can find on Twitter at Alexander New M. Engineering, editing, and production for this episode by Joe Redeman, who you can find on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. Our music is by Wintergotten, who you can find at Wintergotten.com. That's Winter, G-A-T-A-N.com. Logo by Stephen Raphael on Twitter at Stephen Raffle. Goblin Lore is a presentation of Hipsters of the Coast, which you can find at HipstersoftheCoast.com or at HipstersMTG on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.